0: And if you'd like to open up your Bibles at Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, and Mira is going to be reading from verses 1 through to 20. Thank you, Mira.
1: So I'm going to read the Bible, Mark's uh, chapter 5, to 1 to 20. Um, this international version will be 1,007 page. And then the Holy Bible will, will be 710. Thank you. They went across the lake of the region of the Galen When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tomb to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chain apart, broke the iron on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of voice, of his voice what do you want with me jesus son of the most high god said to god that you want to torture me for jesus had said to him come out of he, this man you evil spirit then jesus asked him what is your name my name is a region he replied for we are many and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demon begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 in number rushed down to the steep bank into the lake were drowned those tending the pig ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened when they came to Jesus they saw the man who had been possessed by the region of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind they were afraid those who had seen it uh, told the people what had happened to the demon, demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As, they, as was getting, as Jesus got, was go, getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him but... But said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Well, do you want to find the
0: best black magic cures in Australia, black magic. Apparently you don't have to go far to find someone offering to protect you with black magic. I found a local online willing to do just that, offering to remove black magic from your life, liberate your life from dark forces, his ad proclaims, get your love back. Defend yourself from unwanted love spells. I didn't know they existed, but, and I didn't know that they were unwanted, but no, they are a thing. But far from being a new or niche thing, the black magic industry has been around for millennia. Archaeologists have found plenty of evidence of black magic battles with demons even in the area of Israel in the centuries leading up to Jesus' birth. They've dug up Jewish amulets, which are a kind of lucky charm, usually worn on the body as a defence to ward off evil spirits. They've also found supposedly magic bowls built into the walls of Middle Eastern family homes during construction that is, built into the the mud or whatever was being used to construct the wall, being stuck in there during construction to trap demons that might have otherwise tried to penetrate through the wall and threaten the home. Why would people be so desperate to remove demons and demonic activity, so desperate to practice black magic to liberate themselves from dark forces. Either it's because they were oppressed and victimised by spiritual forces or because these people are easily deluded. Which side do you fall on? Hold that thought because today's passage shows that demonic uh, powers are no delusion, no joke and reinforce the idea that this world is a war zone a battleground, a spiritual battleground. The Bible tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rather against the spiritual forces of evil. Every time you're tempted to do something wrong, to lie, to cheat, to steal, those spiritual forces of evil are trying to take you on trying to weaken the kingdom of God. As I've mentioned previously, it's a battle that we face every day. And in this battle, you're going to have to work out who you trust to liberate your life from dark forces. Today's war story comes from Mark chapter 5, and like most good stories, the opening verse sets the scene. Verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. That is, they went across the Sea of Galilee. We're now on the eastern side of the sea. Archaeological evidence suggests the ancient village of Kersey on the shore of Galilee where the land slopes down to the sea from a few caves and tombs and uh, also, yes, the slope slopes down. Across from Israel so we're now out of Israel in Gentile territory we know it's Gentile country because of one key part of this story there's a pig farm you would have read about it Uh, if you have some understanding of Jewish food laws you'd know that pigs are not cool not kosher unclean pigs are not to be eaten But a pig farm suggests that this was serious business. It's not just one or two wild boars roaming around this territory. No, it's a pig farm. This region had a whole industry devoted to making bacon. We're not talking about Israel. We're talking about Gentile country. And that's not the only unclean thing that's going on there. Verse 2, when Jesus got out of the boat a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This poor, poor man. Can you imagine the scene? He'd been alone, shunned by his community because of his condition, living among the dead in the tombs and caves, covered in bleeding and weeping sores. Not the sort of person that we'd have to admit we really want to spend much time with. But this man is made in the image of God, as are all humans. And under that cut and bruised skin is a man in need of help. And yet, if it was up to you to help, you'd have to admit you'd be a little scared. And probably more than a little repulsed at the idea of going to provide help and care and love. Where the English translation has that the man's spirit was evil, and I think on the overhead you read the word impure, The Greek text uses the word unclean. He had an unclean spirit. But unclean doesn't really do it justice. The man was dirty, yes, and as he lived in the tombs and among the corpses, there's no doubt that he was religiously unclean, just like the pigs. But unclean doesn't do it justice. This man has an evil spirit. He's totally under the control of an evil force. This man doesn't seem to get in his say. He's possessed under the control of dark powers. And this dark force, this demon, is a real piece of work. It seems he's given the man superhuman strength such that even metal chains or shackles don't have any effect. They're not strong enough. It's also that this spirit is intent on causing real damage to the man. He's always crying out and cutting himself. It's clear that the evil spirit has authority over the man to do real harm. Some of us might have scoffed at talk about dark forces, about demons, the occult, witchcraft and the spirit world. We might treat these things as a joke as a parlor trick, as the discussion of Hollywood, as light entertainment. Uh, It was evident in the way some of you reacted to the earlier discussion about Black Magic Man as though it's some sort of funny game. That guy's claim to use black magic to control the spirits is the opposite of what the Bible says, that evil spirits are not only real, but they're not to be toyed with. They're not to be treated as a joke. Evil spirits are real and dangerous. But Jesus has authority. Let's pick it up from verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. When he first sees Jesus, even at a distance, the demon instantly submits. Have you ever seen such a dramatic change in the pecking order from superhuman strength to total cowering submission? We could compare it to a huge container ship. Have you seen those huge container ships passing up and down the coast? Not far off the coast. Actually, they're a fair way off the coast, but when we look at them from Town Beach, they certainly look big and imposing. You'd think nothing could stand in their way. You'd think that if you saw one of those things coming, you'd be getting out of the way as fast as you could. But as soon as that big container ship captain sees the flash of a lighthouse you can bet he's turning the other way and submitting to the message of the light that shines out into his eyes well jesus is like that light and once the demon this superhuman supernatural force sees the light of the lord he is instantly turned around to submission In fact, it's such a dramatic turn of events, it's almost comic. This demon, who has total control over a man, gets the man up and forces the man to run so that the man can kneel before King Jesus, before Jesus has even spoken, before Jesus has even walked all the way up onto the shore, the demon runs to meet him in order to submit. That is submission. Jesus has total authority. Superhuman strength is nothing against Jesus. Demonic powers have no power over Jesus. In fact, they recognise him as being the one in total control. And even there in verse 7... They recognise Jesus by his proper title, one that hasn't yet been disclosed in the Gospel of Mark. Did you see it? In verse 7, Jesus, son of the most high God. Jesus has total authority and even the demons know it. Jesus' authority is complete. That's shown as we move forward. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, What is your name? like in a battle he completely outflanks and outguns his enemy it's ironic that the demon describes itself as legion a legion is a roman army formation of about 5 to 6000 people so pretty powerful but jesus is greater and in matthew chapter 6 jesus uses the word legion himself when jesus points out that at any moment he could call down 12 legions of angels to assist him. Jesus' power is far superior to this demon or to any demon, far superior to any dark force. And because Jesus' authority is so complete, this exorcism is over super quick. In comparison, history shows us how human attempts at exorcism, human attempts to control black magic and dark forces is complicated and drawn out. If you head over to Oxford in England, you can get a look at the Geniza fragments, which are a bunch of documents, and you can read about lessons in exorcism around Jesus' time. The process took weeks. Weeks of preparation alone, Including the, cho- the choosing of an uninhabited place, like a field or an empty house, preparing that area for two days, drawing various shapes on the ground in that uninhabited area, writing a list of magic names inside the shapes, creating charms, good luck charms, amulets, and then hours more of spell casting, speaking, chanting, singing. Invoking God's name against cosmic forces makes me tired even saying it. But here, Jesus merely speaks and barely speaks. With less than a dozen words, he's identified, extracted and dispatched the demon. The demon that was otherwise beyond human control. Jesus has total authority. He's the one you can trust to liberate your life from dark forces. You might remember last week's sermon how Jesus calmed the storm. How? He said, Quiet, be still, and it was done. Later in this chapter, Jesus will bring a little girl back from the dead. How? He says to her, Little girl. Get up. And it happens. The Gospel of Mark contains so many healings and exorcisms, not so that we can learn how, but so that the reader would have no doubt that Jesus is the king, ruler over everything. And yet if Jesus has total authority, the question must be asked, how is it that he could be killed? How is it that Jesus could be killed by men when he has authority over men and demons and all of nature and all of creation? I mean, he was betrayed, arrested, condemned, crucified and buried. How could the supreme authority be bettered by mere humans? Aha, critics say. This man, supposedly God's chosen one, the king, was able to be overcome. That proves he's not king. But this is no gotcha moment. On the contrary, it's more evidence for Jesus' authority because Jesus not only predicts it, but he permits it. Jesus voluntarily lays down his life. He wasn't overpowered. He allowed his life to be taken. Jesus says so in John 10. I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Even Jesus' death was a demonstration of his authority, proven by the historical fact that he came back to life. Jesus is dependable, trustworthy, And what's more, he is still alive. Jesus is the king, ruler over everything. What's more, his death was an act of power in itself. And it's because of this spiritual battle that our world finds itself in, even today, that Jesus came to die. The Bible tells us that humans, like you and me, are dragged away and enticed tempted to selfishly take control of our own lives rather than recognise Jesus as the authority. That selfishness in you, in me, is what the Bible calls sin. And it's so serious that in Paul's letter to the Colossians, later on in the New Testament, those under the power of sin are described as being dead in their sins. Just like the man under the demon's power, those under the power of sin are described as being dead in their sins. Just like the man under the demon's power, humans have no power to free themselves. So Jesus' death may have looked like weakness, but it actually showed Jesus' authority to deal with sin as his sacrifice on the cross pays the penalty that you and I deserved. In fact, in that letter to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 tells us that through the cross, in fact, it's on the front of your overhead over your um, newsletter if you want to look at it, through the cross, Jesus disarms every power and authority, making a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus disarms every power and authority that would seek to control you, triumphing over them all by the cross. If you trust in Jesus and in his work on the cross, then, just like the rescue of our demon-possessed man in those tombs, you are no longer bound and shackled, no longer living among the dead, no longer under the power of evil. Jesus' death on the cross has paid the penalty you deserve and liberated you from dark forces. If you put your faith in Jesus, then even the devil himself cannot control you. If you put your faith in Jesus, nothing can separate you from God's kingdom, from God's family, from God's love, because Jesus is the king, ruler over everything. And so in our passage today, in victory over the evil spirit, Jesus gives another example of his authority. An authority that's ultimately shown in his victory over all evil on the cross. So, what Jesus has done is a premise for what comes next in our passage. Are you ready? A challenge to you as to how to respond. It's why the sermon could be titled Jesus and the Three Beggars because in this passage each response that follows is an example of begging and pleading. I wonder who you'll relate to in this story hopefully not the first beggar because the first response is the demon legion. From verse 11 a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us out among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. The evil spirits came out, went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. That demon, so powerful and mean, so much total control over that man, now having been subdued. The demon's response to Jesus' authority is to beg to get away. The legion of demons are under no illusion over who Jesus is. They want to flee from his presence. But his authority is so complete they must first ask Jesus for permission to flee. How about that? Demons may, be well, may well be evil, conniving, intent on destruction and weakening of God's kingdom but in the presence of real authority, they cower and beg to flee. If that's the result of confrontations between God and demons, I know which side I want to be on. And that's relevant because this demonic spiritual battle is one that we are in even today. It's not just an ancient thing. You are in a spiritual battle with spiritual forces intent on weakening you, distracting you deterring you and reducing God's power but take heart you are on the winning side that's about the only good thing in a battle is knowing that you're on the winning side knowing that it'll be over soon as all the enemy begs to flee confronted by the advance of the winning army Confronted by the advance of Jesus' kingdom, the demons begged to flee. The next set of beggars are the townsfolk. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went to see what had happened. When they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Those pork-loving townspeople got their tails in a twist when they saw their bacon business had been liquidated. (laughs) Literally. They didn't see the exorcism, But as they investigated, they couldn't argue with what had happened because there was the guy, dressed and in his right mind, fixed, better, saved. But in the wake of Jesus' miracle, those who are around have a response of begging, begging for Jesus to leave them. The second group of beggars want Jesus to flee. They were living in some uneasy truce, it seems. Some fake peace with the man who was in the tombs. That they felt comfortable as long as they didn't have to really deal with that guy who just hung out up there cutting himself and crying out. Let's just look the other way. But the arrival of Jesus brings change. That's often one of the reasons that people don't want anything to do with Jesus they've reached an uneasy truce in their life with sin and they dare not have Jesus come and bring change to their lives because that would be difficult. Maybe you've had the same encounter with yourself or with people who would rather not change. Just leave me alone. This is who I am. I was made this way. Don't change me. Don't try to change me, just go away. But as our passage today shows, when Jesus comes, things change. Don't be afraid of that change. Don't be turning away from Jesus in fear. Allow him in and allow him to liberate your life from dark forces as well. And then the third beggar is the man healed. From verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged, begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. What can we say about this man? This man has been healed, yes, yes. He's been brought back from death. Metaphorically speaking, I mean, he was living in the tombs with dead people. He was slowly bleeding to death, just waiting out his life until he could rest in the tombs with all those other people he now calls friends. His life was as good as over. He was as good as dead. But thanks to Jesus, the evil spirit has fled and now, properly dressed and in his right mind, brought back from death, this man begs, begs to spend the rest of his life with Jesus. You can be just like that man. In fact, you are just like that man. Realize what Jesus has done for you. And give your life to him. This man was brought back from death and begs to spend the rest of his life following Jesus. But Jesus had an even greater job for this man. Instead of letting him join the disciples, this man was told to go and become the first missionary to that region. The man had a simple but powerful message to tell. I was as good as dead, but now I'm alive. Alive again. I was as good as dead. I did nothing to deserve being saved, but Jesus loved me so much that he came and saved me. I was lost, but now I'm found. That one sounds familiar. I was lost but now I'm found. That's from the hymn of Amazing Grace written by the slave trader turned Christian, John Newton. John Newton recognised that before he had received Jesus, he was as good as dead, lost in a spiritual battle that had totally overcome him and that he had no hope of surviving alone. But Jesus found him, saved him Saved even a wretch like him, as John Newton went on to write in that hymn. Jesus can save you too. Jesus can bring you back from death into a life of following him. If you're not Christian yet, today's passage shows that even the most pitiful of men and women, can be saved, can be transformed by Jesus from lost and perishing to found and living. That life can be yours too if you submit your life to Christ. But will you beg to follow Christ? Will you beg for release from evil Or will you just beg that he would leave you alone? You must choose. And if you've committed to following Jesus, take a leaf out of this man's book. His story amazed people, and so will yours. The townspeople were initially afraid and told Jesus to leave, but later on, as they listened to the man... They were amazed. Your story can have the same impact. Don't downplay it. I mean, maybe you didn't live in the tombs before you became a Christian. But recognise your conversion for what it is. Nothing short of a rescue from death. A salvation story of the highest order. You were lost, but now am found. So, will you, Christian, beg for the opportunity to tell that amazing story? Seize that opportunity when it comes? Or will you just beg Jesus to leave you alone? The time to decide is now. And if you have been saved, if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord, go to your friends and family and amaze them with the story of what the Lord has done for you. And we'll pray for your journey right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have brought us out of the tombs, from as good as dead, into new life, saved, dressed and in our right mind. Lord, you did that through the work of Jesus on the cross. And Jesus now calls us to follow him. Lord, we beg for opportunities to serve. Lord, we beg for opportunities to tell our story to those who don't yet know about the power of Jesus. Lord, please grant us opportunity. Please grant us courage. And please help us to rely and remember on the fact that Jesus has total authority. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.